I'm Gabby Hi, I'm Emily Fennigan. Hi, it's Keith Bradshaw. Hi, this is Holly Evans. And I'm Ben Hook. In conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. Hey there, great to have your company once again at Hooked on Sport. We are up to episode 27 and following our conversation with Maeve Plouffe, we delve back into the world of high-performance sport. Today, I'm joined by Eddie Dennis, who heads up high-performance at the South Australian Sports Institute. We'll find out from Eddie himself formerly an elite athlete with the Australian water polo team, what Sassy has had to deal with over the last three months, how they've come out the other side of the lockdown, and how our leading athletes like Kyle Chalmers are placed heading to Tokyo 2021. Eddie Dennis joins me in just a moment. Hi, I'm James Harris, the Executive Officer of Softball SA, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. Eddie Dennis, welcome to Hooked on Sport. Thanks for having me. Eddie, uh, what are you, 10 months in the job now? How have you found the return to uh, the SA Sports Institute? I thought they've been a little bit longer. Been good. I've enjoyed it. It's uh, being back in a multi-sport uh, domain, especially high-performance sporting domain, is is still not that common, uh, and means that you know I'm exposed to a lot of different people, a lot of different sports, uh, getting a lot of different experiences, doing a bit more management level stuff, plus obviously the connection with government. It's 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 been invigorating. Let's say. Most people who know the name Eddie Dennis would be aware of your career as a water polo player with uh, Australia and uh, extensive roles in coaching and high performance. How have you found having to, I guess, broaden your knowledge in uh, a whole host of different sports? Yeah, it's been a real challenge, actually, um, but pleasingly eye-opening in terms of just seeing the ways other people do things, how the leaders in different organisations work and act and how, how their systems connect, uh, how people are kind of involved at all the different levels. Uh, it's, been, it's been an excellent experience, actually, because obviously water polo is quite a small community. I know almost everyone across Australia that's, that's kind of linked to the high-performance teams. And so just being able to kind of broaden my scope of and just seeing what other people do has been um, a, a real excellent experience for me. I know you've still got some hands-on involvement with water polo. Has your role at Sassy and you've been able to see what other sports do, has it transformed or maybe even just adjusted the way you have, uh, I guess, approached water polo? Uh, not so much. I think the ch- more of the changes that have come to water polo for me at least have in a sense been forced on us based on um, we weren't able to keep our SASE program because of funding and connections with the National Sporting Organisation, etc. And so we were put into a situation where kind of part-time coaches, part-time programs in a sense, and so just had to scale a lot of the stuff back that I was doing when I was a SASE coach. So that's kind of changed. And having to actually adapt to that and still trying to get good processes good continuity and good um, progression through the athletes has been a bit of a mental challenge for me especially initially when I first came back but I think we're doing okay obviously we're still always searching for ways of doing things better and 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 in my brain I'm always thinking about how we used to have the high performance program and now we don't and so then you know how can we maybe make our way back to that in some way shape or form but um yeah, it's been challenging, but I think you know we've managed to engage the athletes quite well and, and keep things progressing. 
Eddie, this podcast has spent a lot of time talking to community clubs and community sports people about the challenges they've had to overcome over the past couple of months. What about for elite athletes? What are some of the challenges that you've had uh, managing them and ensuring that they can uh, retain their levels of professionalism while, I guess, having to be part of the solution to overcoming the pandemic? Look, our, our very first port of call and level of understanding was based on, you know, our professional athletes, our Olympic hopefuls, are basically doing working hours that normal people do at their job. And in, in so doing, they're connected so often and so strongly to their coaches and their training partners. But that was really the first thing we, we thought about. We thought about we need to try to keep our athletes and our coaches and their programs continuing, like the connections need to stay strong because these people rely on the, of, on these regular connections to really keep them motivated and, and feeling like they're part of something. And it's like anyone, if you're just ripped out of your something that you do 35 hours a week and not have any contact with anyone, it creates a real disturbance. And we were, we were really cognizant of, of mental health potential issues if things were just completely dropped. So we spent a lot of time making sure that coaches and they and coaches had to adapt and and they all did uh, remarkably well get moving into kind of the online space learning how to run sessions through through different platforms online maintaining contact with service providers and with sassy management again online or on the phone and still getting you know um, good connection and good buy-in was a real eye-opener for many of their coaches and a real learning experience which was I, I think unprecedented and then we started thinking about, well, how how can we then move into the space once COVID started sort of lifting about, right, we've got everyone still engaged, we've got, we've got the program still running and everyone kind of connected and making sure that it was all good. Now, how do we then move into the next area, which is how do we get people back into normal training? So we're kind of still working our way through that for a few sports. A lot of sports are kind of back in a semi kind of consistent way. But really that, yeah, the initial the initial consideration was about maintaining a normalcy, I suppose, for the elite athletes in that they are so entrenched in what they do and their training is every day and so ingrained in their life um, that we really need to make sure that was kept as normal as possible, at least those connections. I'm sure this is a simplistic view, but I guess my picture of SASE is the facility uh, on Valletta Road. I'm sure it's far more detailed than that, but I mean, is that facility back at sort of full operational capability now? And if it isn't, is that a way away yet? In terms of for the athletes, the real the main facility there for the athletes is the gym. Mm. And that is back to, I'd say, almost normal levels. Uh, we're still limited to 20 people in the gym at any one time. But there's been some adjustments which had already been put in place before COVID shutdown happened, where we can pretty much cater for everyone that we need to who are on our scholarship programs who would normally be at that gym doing their workouts in our day-to-day structures. So that's back to normal as of last week. Our facilities down at the South Australian Aquatic and Leisure Centre, so down at Selk and Marion. We have a gym there. We have a diving dry land. We obviously have pool access for the swimming and diving programs. 
that's taken a bit longer because that whole building is kind of limited by the amount of people that can actually go into that building in itself. And so uh, dry land is still not up and running. The gym has only just started. The pool is pretty good, but still there's limitations on the amount of time, the amount of people, et cetera. So we're, we're working within the bounds of what health gives us and working our way back through that. So Kidman Park exists within those frameworks as well, but the gym is, is I'd probably say 80, 85% running as it normally would. Health like SASE is a branch of government as such. Has that been a smooth process negotiating with health, knowing that you've got to follow their procedures, but at the same time you're trying to establish the best platform for your athletes? Has that been a straightforward process or has that been a constant juggle? Oh, it's it's a, a constant uh, level of work. Um, it has most of it sat above my head, so with more the uh, leadership team with Office of Rec and Sport. But yeah, it's been it's constant dialogue, constant updating, trying to find ways of promoting the needs of the elite athletes, especially the ones who are already Tokyo bound or who are high level prospects. So we've sort of been pushing the the um, you know that for those specific athletes to be given access earlier if at all possible but a lot of the time health has just come back and said well this is where we're standing and this is where we're going to stay and you've got to fit within that and and we've got to agree to that this is you know this is not all about elite athletes this has to be about the general population health and the health of you know the people around the athletes and so we have to stick with what they sort of give us so there's a bit of to and fro and there's certainly lots of discussions and you know, sometimes we jump ahead with a few different things like we did with our swimming program ahead of the rest of the nation. And then other times we're sort of sticking with the normal processes. So it just depends on how things are viewed and kind of maybe what level of athlete things are targeted at. On that basis, are there athletes that you've really felt some genuine empathy for? I'm presuming that a lot of the indoor sports athletes have probably had far greater obstacles put in front of them than the outdoor non-contact sport athletes? Yeah, I don't know if empathy is the right word. I think we did a really good job of helping the athletes who have been most affected still be able to get their training done in a really positive manner. Uh, we, we were able to pull a lot of equipment out of our two gyms and actually hand those out to the athletes to be able to do their gym programs at home. And then our SNC, our strength and conditioning coaches, develop plans or training plans for those athletes to actually be able to do their training at home with that equipment. And so there was a lot of work that went into that. There was a lot of work from the coaches maintaining, you know, a really high level of engagement with all those athletes. And that goes across all our different sports. So whether it's the individual athletes or the team-based athletes, and I think all that work really has paid off in, in keeping the athletes engaged and motivated and, and remaining retaining their sort of level of fitness. So I don't feel like anyone really missed out in that process. And, you know, we're, we're trying to get people back into their normal kind of routines as quick as possible. So that work has, has been ongoing and a really strong positive from, from SASE for its athletes. Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. The present situation can increase our anxiety, which is completely normal and understandable. To try and reduce some of this anxiety by practicing our breathing or deep muscle relaxation techniques 
maybe some mindfulness, or even dancing, singing, or maybe even yoga. And now back to the show. Eddie, is there stuff you've learned over the last three months that you'll actually keep doing? It's probably something that our whole society is going to learn. I don't think in terms of sport, you know, we've we've learned how adaptable people can be. We've learned in terms of using online platforms much, much more and much uh, more easily potentially or just with more skill than we have in the past. Like at times in the past, if someone hasn't been able to turn up to a physical meeting, you've kind of just given up on the meeting where, where today you could have, you know, people in completely different locations plus people in the office and all doing a, a, a useful meeting. So I think just the ability to do that, there's some things that are going to carry over. I think, you know, I was talking to a colleague today, I think one of the biggest things that could potentially come out of this is just people realising that when they're starting to get sick, they shouldn't be around other people. And then they can do work at home or they can do work online or however that looks. Um, where in the past, I think we've just had a general tendency that if you feel a little bit sick, you're still going to turn up. And that includes athletes to training as well as people to work. And then that just that just is, is a snowballing kind of process that we've never really, uh, I don't think, believed was so potent in the past. But now with COVID and realising that the distancing, the hygiene, the, those sort of practices, as well as staying away from work and training when when you actually are starting to feel sick. I mean, they're really important things that hopefully we all learn and we continue doing in the future, and it actually helps everyone just stay more healthy. What about competition that's been run online? And we've seen, we even spoke to Maeve Plouffe a little bit earlier today, who won an online race on the weekend, which she did from her home on her trainer and used the Wahoo kicker system and uh, and a Zwift racing program, and she raced against other elite cyclists from all around Australia. Can you see an ability to bring that maybe into the program, which is obviously going to be a cost-saving measure? It, it can't replace face-to-face sporting combat, if you like, but can that be maybe a part of an ongoing training program? Well, I don't see why not. It seems to be where sports are heading, especially for something like cycling. That, that's just been a phenomenal platform to be able to do those races and, and to maintain your training, etc. I mean, for some other sports, I'm thinking of something like diving. That would be quite difficult. Uh, maybe one day there'll be virtual means to be able to go through your dives and get rated and, or judged or whatever. You know, there are some platforms. I think the rowers have had some, some uh, national-level kind of events that have been run on ergo machines i know the swimming national swimming program is trying to run a virtual olympics type competition in maybe a month's time to try to link it in with what time around about when the paralympics and olympics would have been just to have a motivational kind of event for athletes who have been training through this to then have their event and be able to then go on a break you know to maintain their kind of normal processes and I wonder whether down the track there still will be limitations on being able to travel internationally. Oh, look, we're all assuming that within our nation, our national travel will be okay. Maybe internationally, it'll it'll maybe it'll only happen once a year because when you come back from somewhere, you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks. And if you're trying to do that two or three times during the year and having to take that two-week quarantine every time, it's probably too much impact on your training and the continuity of training. And so people might, it might be that people just start deciding, well, we're only going to go to one international event a year 
and all the other international events are maybe online in some way, shape or form, if at all possible. As I said, some sports will be able to do that easier than others because they already have the technology in place and some others will find it more difficult. But I, I think there can be a, a, a balance you know, between the two that could, could, could work quite, quite well. Talking to Eddie Dennis, who's the SASE High Performance Lead. Eddie, we were talking at the top about the fact that you've come from uh, water polo uh, at an elite level and now you're overseeing a number of other sports. Is there a particular sporting athlete or a sport that you have perhaps a newfound respect or admiration for? Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> as a water polo player, we like we would go to major events like the World Swimming World Champs would be swimmers, swimmers divers, water polo. And I, I just, you know, within the water polo community, we there was a, a, a kind of a sense of division with the swimmers and um, what they do and what how they compete and it wasn't a a negative in terms of what level they they do it at but it was just our sport we felt was a much I don't know how you'd term it like a more exciting sport to, to be in the water because it is a ball sport etc cetera, etc cetera, and, and you know it's a team sport having been and having been like the manager and the coordinator for the swimming program and seeing what that program does and the quality that it works at and seeing particularly Kyle Chalmers in his in his environment uh, is extraordinary like and then just just uh, seeing the, the level of quality that's within that but also the output that, that then happens and being able to be close to that and uh, the amount of effort that goes in and the amount of connection, and that's that's been an eye-opener. That's a really world-class program within South Australia that everyone should really be proud of, and I know SASE certainly is, um, and all the people connected to it are really high-level performers, and obviously then we get the output that, you know, we all put in with, with Kyle sort of performing when he needs to. That's been a real eye-opener for me and, and a real privilege to be part of. Mm. It was interesting while you were answering that. I was thinking, I wonder what I would answer to my own question. I've got to <laughs> say, I have an incredible admiration for Josie Bulmer and Bernadette Wallace. Now, they, uh, I think it's called Canadian kayaking or Canadian canoeing. canoeing. You'll be able to explain yeah, that to canoeing. me better, Eddie. But they're basically mm-hmm. on one knee paddling these tiny little uh, boats that – well, they – barely are designed to stay upright and they do it on one knee paddling at absolute full tilt and doing it as a pair i think that is quite remarkable (laughs) it is it's an extraordinary event and it it's it's probably more extraordinary that they've got to where they have because we just don't have a history of it in australia Mm. like in canada in in some european countries they actually do that type of paddling recreationally and it's part of their history in Australia, it's just not. And I remember seeing it for the first time. I think there was a um, maybe a Romanian guy who came to Australia and got it, got his citizenship and competed. Maybe it was even Sydney, Sydney Olympics, doing that event. And I just went, oh, my God, I've never seen that before as a race. <laughs> Looks amazing. So, yeah, the fact that they've kind of been able to get to the point which they have got to doing an event that really is not an Australian type of event, they had no background in, had to learn from scratch, Pretty outstanding, really. Yeah, quite amazing. Ed, I, I guess the, the the greatest pass mark for everything that's going on at SASE, when the Olympics do eventually come around and we're going to be one year late, 
how confident are you that all of the athletes that would have been going to the 2020 games and now going to the 2021 games are going to arrive at the start line in the same shape that they would have been had none of this gone ahead? Well, in a way, I would hope that the athletes, assuming people aren't retiring, and that's probably still up in the air for a few, I'm not aware of any in Sassy, but I know around the country there'll be people who'll be wondering, should I go another year? I was planning on finishing after Tokyo version one. Do I go another year? But I would actually hope everyone would would come up better and stronger and fitter and, and more ready because they've had a chance to test out that final year of Olympic prep. And usually you only get one chance at that year unless you've been to one before. You don't get a – it's a do or die and, and whatever happens, happens. And then you kind of have to step back and try to re recalibrate for another four years where this time we've gone a year, everyone's had their plans in place and I think now have a chance to reassess those and have another another year to actually implement those and hopefully better. And, and then have, you know, clear targets at least up to maybe March, which most things sort of stopped after that. Up to that point, then they'd have good information, good data to be able to refer to and go, well, if we were tracking really well in 2020 or 2019, 2020, then we should be hitting those targets or exceeding them in the 2020-21 season in the lead up to Tokyo 21. So then, you know, you would hope that people would, would find opportunities in that find different ways of doing things and being able to actually get better outcomes. Last one, Eddie. Uh, one of your colleagues is Simon Kane, who is also in high-performance coordination at the SA Sport Institute. Your background is elite sport and one of the toughest sports going around water polo. Simon Kane was a weekend warrior cricketer. <laughs> How have those two uh, worlds collided? Oh, we work really closely. He is also, his, his title's changed the same as mine as high performance lead. He looks after a range of different sports to me and we interact really well. Like he, he offers some really interesting things in terms of, you know, maybe more more around um, culture or, or the way that the, the, the sport is presented or how maybe some of the things were done in cricket in terms of facilities or you know, he, he gives information about that. And then we have good discussions about what Olympic kind of elite sport looked like from the perspective I had. He was also a coach as well as me. And so we have quite a few touch points where we can interact. But I think, you know, his, his ability to see it in terms of real South Australian focus, where I maybe have a more natural Australian level focus for sport. And then his ability to look at, you know, a really high level participation sport like cricket compared to me from a very low participation sport, but really aiming for the top end outputs. I think those two things really mix well within our management structure. Yeah, look, I'm a fellow cricketer, so I call Simon Kane a weekend warrior <laughs> with affection from me to sure. him, from one to another. But Simon Kane, yourself, doing a wonderful job at the SA Sports Institute. Eddie Dennis, thank you for your time at Hooked on Sport. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Bruce McAvaney, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. Whether you're a Crows, Port, Redbacks or Thunderbirds fan, I reckon there is no bigger pride than seeing a South Australian on the victory dais at the Olympic Games. So a big thank you to Eddie for sharing with us the progress of some of the top athletes in South Australia. So that's the medal presentation ceremony on episode 27. As always, our gratitude to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation with support from Business SA and SA Health. 
Hooked on Sport is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So feel free to shoot us a note and say hi. Thanks to Ben Watson, who wrote and recorded the musical intro to Hooked on Sport, and to the show's producers, Wallace Long and Desiree McMahon. Thanks very much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon at Hooked on Sport.